We have uh, two more weeks in this series called Under the Influence, and what we've been doing is we've been looking at what's it look like to live a life more and more influenced by the Holy Spirit. If you were to come to me and go, Aaron, I, I want to be more and more under the influence of the Spirit. I want to I know God more. I want to I experience God more. I want to experience God in a, in a new way. Like, where do, where do I start? Um, I was thinking about that just as I was, you know, all this week. And, and uh, there was two things that came to mind. And, and let me sort of say before I, I share those two things. They're not like the two things. And they're not going to be two things that you probably haven't heard before. Um, there's no secret sauce that I'm going to be sharing, or secret tonight, or this morning rather, that, that you haven't maybe heard. Um, and they're not like the top two. I don't, I don't know that there's like a hierarchy. These are just, out of my opinion, I see how the world is functioning. I see how things are in the church and sort of the the, the depravity around these two areas that I think uh, is, is resulting in us missing God in a more profound, profound way. And those two things are um, the Bible, the Word of God, and being a learner, uh, a student of the Bible, and being obedient to the Bible. And that's what I'm going to talk about today. The second thing, which I'm going to talk about next week, is Sabbath. And I don't want to talk too much about it, but, but I'll, uh, spoiler alert, I'll give a little bit. The reason I think Sabbath is so important is that we live in the busiest uh, time, maybe, in, in, in the history of, of mankind. Like, there's so many things going on. There's so many options. There's a ton of distractions, like... We are a, a, a really busy people. And the sad reality, at least what I see, is that our busyness has, come, like, we've, it's come at, to, at the expense of God. Like, we, we push uh, God out uh, for other things. And if we do that, we inevitably will get less and less of God. And Sabbath practice, which has been practiced by People following Yahweh since the really the, the time that God gave the law is because God recognizes that the enemy is not like actively at work uh, in apparent ways. I mean, you might see it. You, 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 you will if you open your spiritual eyes. But I think one of the primary work of the enemy is distraction and busyness. And uh, if he can keep our eyes off God, uh, we experience less of God. And right now, I think we have a world and a culture that uh, we're being robbed of profound moments with God because we're not giving God enough time. Sabbath is saying, uh, is, I'm going to take a day. And I'm, gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm going to die on this hill. And I'm going way too long into Sabbath at this point. But I'm going to die on the hill that, that Sabbath needs to be a day. Because I think we've talked about it in church context and said, we'll start with like an hour and start with this. And I just go, I don't think that's what the Bible means when it talks about Sabbath. I think it's a day. And that's going to be really hard for all of us. But we're missing God in our busyness and distraction. And we're paying a price. Our kids are paying a price. And um, I think we've got to get serious about it. So, 
uh, let's start with the Bible. I, I, uh, there was a story. I don't know if you remember this. It was 10 years ago now. I think it came out of the UK. But um, there was a story about a 17-year-old girl who collapsed at work, was brought to the hospital, and her tongue had, like, swollen to a very dangerous size. And they were able, it was, it was, it was like a response, actually, and I don't know the medical sort of uh, realities around it, but it was, it, the doctors figured out it was because of her diet. And she told the doctors that she had eaten nothing but chicken nuggets pretty much her entire life. McDonald's chicken nuggets. Uh, this is a real story. You can check it out if you don't believe me. Google it. But this gal admitted to eating no vegetables, no fruit, just pretty much hammered chicken nuggets, McDonald's chicken nuggets, for every single meal. And ultimately, that was to blame for this, <laughs> this reaction. And, and she learned, I guess, the hard way that man does not live on breaded nuggets alone. Um, <laughs> you just can't do that without paying a price. Because all of us are, are physical uh, beings that require nutrients and food and minerals and things that, that keep us alive, keep us healthy. And so you can't not eat if you want physically to stay uh, alive. But you are more than just a physical being. You are also a spiritual being. And in the same way that you need to feed your body physically to stay alive, your soul must be fed. And it is fed through the word of God. It is fed through the Bible. And the reality is, is that there is, there is a, a real sort of malnourishment that your spirit will experience when you do not feed it with the word of God. It's astonishing how spiritually malnourished we can be amid such an abundance of biblical availability. Never in the history of mankind have we had the sort of access to the Bible than those before us. In fact, for the vast majority of God's people, people's experience with the Bible was through hearing it. Because very few people had the word of God. Very few people had scrolls. You did not, in, in, in uh, ancient times, pack up your scroll in your back pocket and go to the temple or go to house church. It just, they, there were not enough copies. Very few copies and only certain people, priests and things, would have actual written copies of the text. We live in a time where we have it more readily available than ever. We have it in hard copy form. We have it in electric form. We have it in apps on our computers and on our phones. It's likely that every single one of you in here has a smartphone. Therefore, every single one of you has a Bible in your back pocket. Multiple versions of the Bible. We have more literature, uh, commentaries, Bible studies, uh, Bible dictionaries, Bible atlases, just written works by pastors, theologians, scholars. We have more resources about the Word of God than we ever have at our fingertips. 
I have a Bible program I use called Logos. And I can go into that and I can type in a word. I can type in a Bible verse and it opens up. I hit enter and in seconds I can get access to all my Bible dictionaries, all my, my commentaries. I can get into the Greek. I can get into the Hebrew. Like the ability to grow in one's knowledge of the Bible, it's never been available like it is today. But here is my question. Are we any better for it? Has our knowledge of and commitment to reading the Bible kept pace with this increased availability? And I think the answer is no. There's a real, real problem in the church. And that is Bible literacy. If you look online, you'll see that it's a concern amongst many Christian leaders that are seen in their churches and in Christian contexts that professing followers of Jesus spend very little time in the Bible. That a lot of people's only experience in any given week in the Bible is when they go to church on Sunday and the pastor is preaching to them. And the danger of a sermon like this is you can hear what I just said and you can begin to feel shame because maybe that's you. And you can feel really bad and you can feel like a bad person. You can feel like uh, you don't belong or you can feel like God doesn't like you. And I want to say, that's if you're feeling that right now, that's exactly what Satan wants you to feel. That's exactly what he wants you to think. He wants you to think that this is about performance and maybe your poor performance means you should feel bad about it. Now, it's not bad to feel conviction, and I hope you feel conviction. If, if, if honestly, you're not in the Bible, it's not a part of your everyday, it's not, it's not, you know, at least important enough, if you're honest, to be in it, besides maybe Sunday sermons or a podcast or something like, like that, I think it's good to feel a conviction. Because what I want to share with you today is the Bible is more than just a set of rules. It's more than just some ancient Near Eastern writings. It's more than just an old book. It is a gift. It is a gift that God has given to us and for us. And here is the worst part of biblical illiteracy. It's not that you don't know as much. It's not that you don't feel comfortable in a small group or maybe in a church because you feel like everybody else knows more than you. It's none of that. The worst part of biblical illiteracy is that when we neglect reading the Bible, we don't just miss out on knowledge. We miss out on God. We miss God. Because the Bible is the primary way in which God has chosen to speak to us, to commune with us, to speak to us and speak into our lives. And so do you want God? Do you want more of God? Do you want his presence? Do you want his truth? Do you want his promises? Do you want the peace? Do you want the stuff you come here on a Sunday and you hear about to be alive and active in your life? God wants you to have that. And one of the ways, and one of the most prominent ways in which he wants to speak into that is through the Bible, through the word of God. I figured if I was going to read, um, or teach rather, on the Bible as a whole and the importance of reading it, why not read the longest chapter in the Bible? Which turned out to be a really bad idea. 
because I tried to read the whole thing. I had to cut it halfway last service because it was taking a very long time. But I'm going to give... Uh, I'm going to give it a go. We're not going to read the whole thing, but I want to show you part of it. The longest chapter in the Bible is Psalm 119. It's a beast. It's long. And it is all about God's word. It's all about the Bible. The psalmist is, is pouring out his heart about how meaningful and powerful and purposeful God's word is to him. And he wants his readers, he wants his listeners to understand how wonderful, how powerful God's word is and that it can have an impact, a real impact on your life and it will draw you closer to the presence of God. Let me start in verse 1. And I, I want you, as I read a few of these verses, I, I want to invite you to pay attention to just how this person talks about God's word. And he uses a lot of different words to describe God, uh, the word of God, the Bible. He talks about the law of God, which he's talking about um, the Bible. He talks about your precepts, which he's talking about the Bible. I mean, the whole thing is, is really about God's, God's word. But I want you to pay attention to how does this guy talk about it? I mean, do you hear a guy who's saying, I should probably read the Bible? Or, boy, there's a lot of rules that God wants me to do. This is pre, you know, this is drudgery. Or, boy, this is boring. He, he, listen to how this guy talks about it. it it's, as, it's almost like as I read it, it's like a, you meet somebody who, who has found a new boyfriend or girlfriend, and they just annoyingly gush over them, like it's almost gross, like how they just gush over them. You know what I'm talking about? It's, all, it's like this guy is gushing over the Bible in a, in a profound way. And uh, I'm like, man, I don't, I don't know if I've ever met anybody who talks about it like this guy. But what if we became people that, I mean, this, you can't make it up. That, I mean, I don't think he's trying to convince us of something here or talk us into something. I think he's honestly just going, this is true. This is awesome. I want you to know what it can do in your life because I've experienced what it's done in mine. So let me start in verse 1. Blessed are those whose ways are blameless, who walk according to the law of the Lord. The law of the Lord, the Bible, the, the work of God, you know, the, 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 the word of God. Blessed are those who keep his statutes and seek him with all their heart. They do no wrong, but follow his ways. You have laid down precepts that are to be fully obeyed. Oh, that my ways were steadfast in obeying your decrees, that I would not be put to shame. When I consider all your commands, I will praise you with an upright heart. As I learn your righteous laws... I will obey your decrees. Do not utterly forsake me. It's interesting because as he talks, I'll just pause for a second, as he talks about the law and the word of God, he, it's obvious he's not just a, uh, a listener or a reader of, of the word of God. He's a doer. He's like, this is worth doing. This is worth not just listening to or learning about, but actually being obedient to it. He goes on, how can a young person stay on the path of purity? This was written a long time ago. 
And uh, a powerful question uh, is being asked that is as relevant today as it was back then, maybe even more so. How many of us as parents maybe are asking ourselves that very question? How do we keep our children on the right path? What do you think the answer is? By living according to your word. That means two things. You've got to know the word. You've got to understand the word. You've got to be in the word. And you've got to live according to it. You've got to respond and demonstrate it. And I was thinking about this. It's like, if I want my kids, which I do, to stay on the path of purity, who are they going to look to? Who will model it? And if I expect it to be Kelly, because she's an elementary director, or whoever else, that's a fool's game. It is you. You have the most influence over your children. Discipleship starts at home. They're looking at you for better or worse. They're looking at me for better or worse. And if I'm not in my Bible every day, if I'm not living in obedience to my Bible, and they're watching me, are, are they? If I'm not giving uh, priority to my faith, if I'm not giving priority to church, if I'm not giving priority to my, 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 my spiritual health, do not think your children will give priority to it. Do not offboard it on other people. It doesn't work. If you're a parent, you're a discipler. You are discipling your kids for better or worse. The question is, what are you discipling them into? And if you want them to stay on the path, the Bible says, learn to live according to your word. It goes on, I will seek you with all my heart. This is not an individual who says, I will go to church when I feel like it. Or I'll get in the Bible when maybe there's some time. You want the full experience of God, you go all in. The thing, I do not like Tom Brady really, um, but it, you cannot sort of like not respect the fact that, you know, he goes all in. Now, it's cost him his marriage. You think that's worth it? No. But, you know, he, he wants to be a peak performer. If you want to be a peak athlete, you you got to go all in. Unfortunately, we've seen an individual who going all in on the wrong thing comes at a cost. But you want to go all in on God, you start to receive the benefits of what the of what God's promises are. And we read the psalmist who's just sort of pouring it out. He goes, do not let me stray from your commands. I have hidden your word in my heart that I may not sin against you. Praise be to you, Lord. Teach me your decrees. With my lips I recount all the laws that come from your mouth. I mean, this guy is not just reading it. He's saying it. He's talking it. He's, he's reciting it. I rejoice in following your statutes. Not, I bemoan following rules. I rejoice that, that, that like, you've given me a way of living through your word that is best for me, that is good for me. Not a set of rules, but a way of life 
where I get God and I get all the things that God has promised to give. I meditate on your precepts. I consider your ways. I delight in your decrees. This dude even delights in the stuff that God's saying yes and no to. Because he's experienced that when he says yes to the things that God says yes to, and he says no to the things that God says no to, it's good for him. It gives him life. I will not neglect your word. Be good to your servant while I live that I may obey your word. Open my eyes that I may see your wonderful things in your law. I am a stranger on earth. Do not hide your commands from me. My soul is consumed with longing for your laws at all times. You rebuke the arrogant who are accursed, those who stray you from your commands. Remove from me their scorn and contempt, for I keep your statutes. The rulers sit together and slander me. Your servant will meditate on your decrees. Your statutes are my delight. They are my counselor. I mean, this is a man who is being oppressed by authorities, people of power over him who want to rob him of life. And what is his response? It is not to form an army and to fight back. It's not to try to take control of, of the situation. He says, I go to your word. I meditate on your decrees. I feed my spirit in my despair with your words. And it just goes on and on and on. And if you read this whole psalm, you'll just see. The love that this man has for the word of God. That he's experienced it. And he obeys it because it's worth obeying. Because of what it's done in his life. And this isn't just a man who's sort of pouring out his heart about it. If you look at your, if you have a Bible, um, I don't know if it does this in the app or not. But um, the way in which this, this, the psalmist has curated this, this chapter, this text, the way in which creatively he has, he's written this book, this chapter rather, um, is so unique. Because when you look at your Bible, if you have one with you, and you're not going to be able to see this, but this is, Psalm 19 is not just a gushing of, this guy's emotions and feelings. Like, he has creatively and artistically put together Psalm 119 because it's broken up into 22 paragraphs of eight verses. And the heading of each paragraph, you'll see there's a word there, a Hebrew word. So the first is aleph. That is the first letter in the Hebrew vocabulary. And so there's 22 uh, paragraphs of eight verses because there's 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet. And each paragraph, it's sort of like I would write A, B, C, D, E, F, G, and I go through the whole alphabet, and then I would do eight li like lines of a poem for each letter of the alphabet. And the first word of each of these paragraphs starts with the with that letter of the alphabet. And that's what he has done here in in Hebrew. And I think why it's worth sharing that is um, because there's purpose behind this. 
he's not just artfully, I think, and beautifully putting this together. It's obvious he's put time into caring about this. But he uses the alphabet to signal the, the whole alphabet to signal completeness. Almost to say to us, this is all you need. And he uses the whole of vocabulary to represent comprehensiveness. C.S. Lewis, um, I came across a quote he had about Psalm 119, and he says this, Psalm 119 does not pretend to be a sudden outpouring of the heart. It is a pattern, a thing done like embroidery, stitch by stitch, through long, quiet hours, for love of the subject and for the delight in leisurely, disciplined craftsmanship. It's as if, you know, a, a, a woodworker was slowly crafting together, you know, whatever he's making, his table, whatever it, it, it is, that, that this author has slowly embroidered, stitch by sti stitch, this, this sort of beautiful poem, writing, and truth. Because he, you put time into things you care about. You give time to things you care about. And so it's, it's, it's a demonstration that the psalmist deeply cares about the word of God. He loves it. And so he constructs this, this wonderful writing with meaning and purpose and creativity to demonstrate to us its completeness, its power, its purpose. And he uses throughout the entirety of the text, he uses eight different words that, that, that we would sort of say, recall as the Bible. And when you hear about the Bible today, words you might hear are things like revelation, inspiration, inerrancy, and infallibility, which are all true and good about the Bible. But those words attempt to tell us what the Bible is. What the psalmist is, I think, trying to do, because of his experience with God's word, is, is more than just revelation and inspiration, but it is, it is about what the Bible does in a person who reads it and trusts it and meditates on it and is obedient to it. Those eight words, look at what, what they are. Torah is used 25 times, which means it instructs us. Misfat is used 23 times, which means decides and rules for us, which is really about, it gives us wisdom. Edot, it declares to us. In a world that's constantly throwing lies and other messaging in, in, our, in our lives, here the word is meant to declare to us truth. Pequita means determine for us, which is, again, helping us to know which way to go. Chugam is used 21 times, which prescribes for us. Mitzvah is used 21 times, which means it orders for us. Imra is used 18 times, which it promises to us. And Debar is used six times, it speaks to us. It's saying, look, this, the, the word of God, this is what it does. This is what it provides. And it's obvious when you read this text, these are the words of someone who has poured hours and hours and hours of his life into it, pondering it, um, reflecting on it, not just learning it and reading it, but also attempting to do what it says. The Bible is the primary agent in which God speaks to us and instructs us. 
And if you look at it as sort of this boring, hard to understand, which it can be, and that's if it's 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 very normal uh, when you first start writing to not understand. You you will not understand it, and that's okay. But if we're looking at the Bible as sort of this to-do list thing or hard to understand and we and therefore I'm never going to give it a go like we have the wrong perspective the perspective that we need to have is the perspective that the psalmist has and that is this what a gift that God would give us this how amazing that God wants to speak to us how amazing that God wants to instruct us how amazing that God would give us a way of life that he's saying look if you live this way it's going to be the best for you The problem is we're being influenced by so many other things than the Bible. I came across, uh, I looked up like stats on, you know, just like advertising slogans and social media stuff. And um, in the 1970s, a person was sort of averaging around seeing or noticing 500 to 1600 ads a day. In 2017, the average American was being exposed to between 4,000 and 10,000 ads daily. Facebook advertising alone has the ability to reach 2.1 billion people. Meta, which is Facebook's terrible new name, um, made $115 billion from advertising in 2021. $115 billion from advertising. Around 200 million users visit at least one business page a day on Instagram. Finally, YouTube made nearly 29 billion in ad revenue in 2021. The, the, the fact is this. We are being heavily influenced. Constant messaging coming from us in every direction through media, social media. And I'm not here to sort of just rag on, on social media because there are some good things about it. But if you don't think that that stuff isn't influencing you, you're wrong. It is targeting you. They are targeting you. And they don't give a rip about you. You understand that? They only care about money. They only care about you giving them money and staying on the app, spending more time, and then ultimately cutting a check or whatever, paying for whatever they want you to pay. They do not care about your well-being. They only care about your money. And they will come after you day in and day out. And the question is, do I give more time to this or this? What am I being more influenced by? This is on, I mean, this thing is actively, there are businesses that are actively at work trying to take your attention because it means more money for them. And the messaging that comes from this, it could be anything. Or am I being more influenced by this? And let's just be honest. Let's all just be honest about it. If you're being influenced more by this than this, you're, there's, there's a cost. If I'm being more influenced by this than this, there's a cost. 
But what if, what if I decided to be more influenced by this? The psalmist is telling us, he's pouring his heart out. He wants us to know, oh man, it is so much greater. It's so much better than anything this can do. I mean, really, when you start to boil down social media, are you any happier because of it? I'm not. I feel worse most of the time. So, you will give your time and you will give your money to the things you care most about. And in what, what does your calendar and what does your bank account tell you about what you care most about? Where are your priorities? And if I'm unwilling to give God time in my day, you have that choice, you have that decision. But there will be a cost to pay, and it could be quite steep. But God goes, I've given you this word. I want to talk to you. I want to commune with you. I've give, like, I, I just, I want you, and guess what? You need God, and the primary way you're going to get more of God is by hearing his voice through scripture. Um, there's a line in the very last uh, stanza of this text that says, I have strayed like a lost sheep. Seek your servant. For I have not command, I have not forgotten your command. Um, we're going to go to the Lord's table, and the band, you guys can make your way out. Um, and maybe you're feeling really bad now, because like um, you're not in the Bible a lot, you don't know a lot about it, or maybe you're feeling really bad because you just like I'm, we're really busy and we don't give a lot of emphasis to to spiritual things, or my calendar, my bank account really don't like. I'm not super proud of what they say about what I prioritize and what I value. Um, and the enemy will want you to feel shame about all that. But God's not interested in making you feel shameful about that. He went to the, Jesus went to the cross to kill that. What, God, God doesn't want, like, your money. He doesn't want, like, your time doing all this stuff. He wants you. <laughs> he wants you. He died for you. And then he goes, I've given you this so you can have more of me. And so maybe, you know, you've strayed like a lost sheep. That's okay, because guess what? The promise of the Bible says it's not about performance. And if you're willing to, to come back home when you've strayed, Jesus welcomes you with open arms. Communion is a wonderful time to do that when we recognize I've strayed, my priorities are off, I've sinned, but God, your grace is good and sufficient for me. When we come to the table and we, re we receive the bread and the juice which represent his body that was given for us, his blood that was shed for us. Communion is really, it's an open arms to believers. So maybe you have strayed. That's okay. Come home and Jesus will be there with open arms. A guy named Robert Robertson in the 1700s, he was so moved after hearing George Whitfield preach, he became a Christian, that he wrote lyrics to a hymn that say, Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, which was influenced by his reading of Psalm 119. Prone to leave the lot I love. Here's my heart, Lord. Take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. We are prone to wander. 
but God's given his word, which is a light unto our feet. Let it guide you back into his presence. So let's stand together, let's pray. And if you're a Christian, we invite you to come to the God's table. Receive the gift of mercy and grace. Receive the truth of his word. So God, thank you, Jesus, that you demonstrated your love for us, that while we were sinners, you died for us. We are prone to wander. We are prone to rebel. We are prone to give our hearts and attentions to other lesser gods. But thank you for your grace that in our time of need, when we repent and we turn to you, you welcome us not in judgment and fear, but in love that you receive us because we are your children and you love us. So we come now and we remember, Jesus, what you've done. We proclaim what you've done. We declare what you've done. And we look forward, Jesus, to your return. We pray it all in your name.